0: With the news media covering increasingly more news about data breaches and security and the use of personal data in ways that invade people's privacy, you need to know how to keep your business's data, not to mention your own personal data, safe from hacks and your business operating in the most secure environment. Otherwise, this can not only hurt your business reputation, it can cost you clients. Welcome to Data Security and Privacy with the privacy Professor. We are here to help you mitigate potential damages and losses before the hackers even have your number. Now, here is the Privacy Professor
1: and your host, Rebecca Harold. Hello and welcome to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor. I'm Rebecca Harold, your host. Thank you for joining us. Welcome to the 39th episode of my show. I use the show to help raise awareness of information security and privacy risks and issues, and I also strive to provide listeners worldwide with practical tips and actions to help improve information security and to better protect their privacy. Please subscribe to my show on iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM, Google Play, overcast tune in cast box or whatever your favorite podcast or news app is and please subscribe to my show on the voice america business channel site you know i sincerely appreciate all of you who tune in and I'm just thrilled that I see people from all over the world listening. I always love seeing all the countries and cities on the list. It's really exciting for me to see the new ones on my report each week and month. Now, if you're interested in being a sponsor or advertiser for my radio show, please also get in touch. And for those of you in Africa or close to Antarctica, I know many of you have heard this before, but if you need help with information security or privacy, please get in touch. I've been to the other continents and I've not been to these yet. Uh, So I would love to visit your areas and do work for you and then stick around for a few days to do some exploring while there. Thanks also for all of your questions you're sending me. I really do love getting all your questions, so please do keep sending them. My October Privacy Professor Tips message was published on September 28th. Did you get yours? Well, if not, please go ahead and sign up for them. I've always provided them for free. You can sign up for them by going to privacyguidance.com and submitting your email. In the box in the upper right part of your screen and please send me an email letting me know who is your privacy hero this can be at your work or in your personal life I'm recognizing privacy heroes in my monthly tips messages throughout 2018 and my November tips is going to be published today October 30th so look for that out soon as well so October is National Cybersecurity Awareness Month, which is observed truly all over the world in all countries uh, or, or many other countries, not just the United States. My October 16th show with Dr. Terry Curran was dedicated to answering as many of the dozens of questions that I've received from my listeners and TIPS readers as time allowed. Now, these were questions that I had not answered directly yet. I've gotten so many great questions from listeners and my privacy professor TIPS readers. So for this, my final October episode during National Cybersecurity Awareness Month, I'm going to answer As many of the remaining questions as possible. And I was going to have an information security genius, true genius, join me today, but unfortunately she was called away at the last minute and uh, she had to do something, uh, take care of something. She was very sorry she was not able to make it, and I will try to have her on. Uh, at some future dates. So, you know what? I just decided I'm going to go ahead and go through as many more of these questions from my listeners and readers as our finale to this special month. Please continue to send in questions, though. You don't have to send them just because it's National Cybersecurity Awareness Month. I love getting your questions at any time during the year. So please go ahead and send them in. So... For my first question, I was recently in Austin, Texas, for the NIST Privacy Framework Workshop. I'm a part of the NIST Privacy Framework Working Group, and I moderated their third panel of the workshop. And on the flight's home, I sat next to a very friendly person on my Denver to Des Moines leg of the trip. And she was, uh, you know, chatting with me a little bit. And then she asked what I did for a living. And I told her, and her eyes lit up. And she said, Oh, I am so worried about the security of my information, especially since I got a new laptop. What do you recommend I do to make sure that the laptop is secure? I don't want people getting into it and stealing my data and don't make things complicated because if you do I'm not going to remember. Well, do I like sitting next to folks like this? Yes, I do. It it really is very cool for me when I run into folks who aren't in my profession, but yet when they hear what I do, they want to know more about it. So, you know, I love sitting next to folks like this. Her name was Monica, and Monica actually took out a notebook, and while I was chatting with her, she literally took notes while I started describing some of the key actions for her to take to secure her new laptop. And you know what? It made the flight from Denver to Des Moines uh, go very quickly. It was over before we knew it. So what did I tell her? Well, Well, actually, I kind of told her the same actions that I recommend to many other folks. They're kind of like my holy grail. Of personal information security and privacy protection that I like to tell other folks who aren't in the information security or privacy business so here's what I here's what I told Monica so number one she's got a new laptop she needs to make sure that she sets up her laptop and if any other type of computer system that you have you need to do this too but she needs to set it up to do automatic updates automatic system updates. You need to make sure that you keep those automatic updates applied to your computing device because those will help to prevent new, newly, re- uh, newly discovered vulnerabilities and it will help to keep the hackers from exploiting those vulnerabilities because you'll have them patched. Number two, This is very important, and I find so many folks do not do this. Use firewalls on your computing device, any type of computing device you have. You need to use firewalls and anti-malware. And similar to how you keep your systems updated, you need to also make sure that you uh, have the settings on your firewalls so that they automatically get updated too, so that you can make sure that they're constantly checking for all of the new types of threats. Now for number three, this is something that a lot of people don't think about, but boy, do I see this all the time when I'm traveling. Use a privacy screen when you have a tablet computer, when you have a laptop, when you have a smartphone, anything where you have information being uh, shown on your monitor that others might be seeing who are close to you in your vicinity, you know, do you really want them to see everything that you're looking at when you're looking at your laptop and your uh, smartphone? Probably not, especially if you're going out and doing online banking uh, uh, while you're waiting for your flight to come and so on. So use a privacy screen. This makes sure that only you can see it because you have to be looking at it straight on and you can't uh, see things on the screen from the side with these privacy screens. Now, number four, if you travel a lot, get your own personal Wi-Fi connection. This will make it so that you have a secured way to connect to the internet through your Wi-Fi connection and you don't have to use those public Wi-Fi networks. Those public Wi-Fi networks are very vulnerable. That's uh, an area where a lot of the cyber crooks love to hang out and if you're on a public Wi-Fi network, you'll probably have either people trying to sniff the traffic coming your from your computer so they can grab your passwords and IDs or other types of information. So if you travel a lot, get a personal Wi-Fi connection. I personally have been using Verizon's MiFi, M-I-F-I, for a long time. But the other telecommunications companies have their own as well. Uh, number five, encrypt your full hard drive on your computing device. Now, some systems already come with this option. You might actually have a computing device that allows you to do full drive encryption. So check that out. If you have it, use it. If not, there are many types of inexpensive um encryption solutions out there that you can use to encrypt your full hard drive, and this will protect your data. So if somebody steals your computer, uh, if you're using strong encryption and authentication, then they won't be able to get to that data, even if they have their hands on your physical device. Well, speaking of authentication, number six of my tips to Monica was use two-factor authentication to get into your laptop or if you use a tablet or smartphone or whatever you're using. Two-factor authentication requires you, after you put your user ID in, it requires you to not only enter a password or a PIN, but it will also require you to do one additional type of activity before you can get into your device. And by requiring you to do that second step, it helps to make sure that even if somebody might guess your pin or password, they most likely are not going to do that second step because they aren't going to um, have access to the requirement for whatever you've chosen for that. I and, and You know, there's many different ways that you can do that second step requirement. Oftentimes it's a text to your smartphone and so on, but there's many other ways. Number seven of my recommendation for Monica was make frequent backups of your computing device. Most people don't. And then when they lose their computer, they lose their laptop. It's like, oh, my gosh, I lost all of my photos. I had them all on there. Well, make backups. You know, the the more often you need to make backups depends upon how often you're adding new things onto your computing device. So if you're adding new types of photos or videos or Word documents, PDFs, whatever, the more often you're putting more stuff on your computing device, the more frequently you excuse me, you need to make backups. And make sure you keep those backups stored, you know, in a separate um, area. You don't want to store your backup on the same device that you're making a backup of. I I mention that because I've heard people do that. And I've seen people do that. Don't do that. Um, Number eight. Here's something important that's related to how you use your device. Do not click links that you don't recognize coming from you know, people you don't know through email or through text or, or onto your social media page, or even if you do know them, if it's a, a link that you think looks odd or does not fit with the person who sent it to you, uh, don't click it. Now, what I like to do, so many URLs, uh, the website links, that are provided now, they're shortened ones, so you can't really tell where they're going. So what I do is I copy that website link and I take it and I put it in a site like urlvoid.com. What that will do is that will check to see if the URL is safe um, or not. And of course, it's not 100% uh, at any of these sites. So if you want to use another site or two. There's many different sites where you can check the safety of your URLs. But I like the URLvoid.com site. It's very quick and it's pretty good to to use to see if a link is safe. Now, here's a bonus item. This was something that I didn't mention to Monica, but I want to mention it to my listeners because I think it's important too. Um, Whenever you are out and about traveling around I see everybody rushing to those USB chargers so you know what invest just a little bit of money into using a USB skimmer protector when you're charging your laptop your phone or whatever in public places and one pop popular one that you'll find in many places online is called a juice jack defender and it's just a little device that goes on the end of your charger and it costs around you know 12 to 15 dollars and you can usually get about five of them for that price so use those whenever you use any type of public uh usb charger okay now let's go on so that's what i told monica we had a great great discussion. Let's go on to another question. This is actually one from one of my monthly tips readers. Now, um, this reader writes, when I travel and I'm in airports, hotels, restaurants, and other public spaces, and I want to connect to a free Wi-Fi network, I often see different different Wi-Fi networks show up And being available, but then sometimes some of them go away. Why do different Wi-Fi networks change so often? Well, okay, so for this reader, here's something that's important to know. People can set up their own computers, laptops, you know, whatever computing device you have. You can set that up actually to be a hotspot and it will allow other people to be able to connect to the internet than through your device as well. So keep this in mind that um, these other computers might have their settings such that they're set up to be a Wi-Fi hotspot that is open and usable to others in the vicinity to connect to the internet. In fact, a lot of folks don't even realize that their own computer is set up to be a Wi-Fi hotspot. So check your Wi-Fi settings if you have your connection open uh, to allow for this. Now, if you do, others will see your computer's Wi-Fi name listed in the available Wi-Fi networks list uh, for the area. Now, when the person who has an open public Wi-Fi connection is in the area, you'll see them listed. But when they shut down or leave, then you will no longer see them. So the list of the available Wi-Fi networks will often change as a result of these factors. And that's probably what you saw. Now, Wi-Fi, here's something to keep in mind that's related to this. Wi-Fi, public Wi-Fi, is often used by hackers and other types of cyber crooks to get access to the computers and the associated communications of those using the public Wi-Fi, particularly when you are in airports and hotels and restaurants and other public locations. Well, why? Usually those public Wi-Fi connections do not have security implemented, and unauthorized access is also Uh, common when those using the wireless enabled devices have not established strong security settings or they've not kept their systems and applications patched like one of those tips I gave earlier. So here's a scenario for you. Let's consider if you're traveling and you need to check your work email and you're eating in a university restaurant. So you're sitting there eating, you're seeing, you know, where's a a public Wi-Fi that I can connect to? Well, you look at the list of available public Wi-Fi networks and you find one called campus. And, And well, you're on the university campus, right? So that has to be secure, right? Well, do not make any assumptions. Crooks count on you. To make assumptions and so they're going to name the Wi-Fi networks what they want you to use with a name that they think that you're going to be more likely to trust so they set up these free Wi-Fi networks in places such as coffee shops and restaurants Hotel lobbies, you know, the college campuses, like my example, airports. You see them a lot in airports and hotels, really any place public. These free Wi-Fi's that the Crooks create can be used by many types of systems, Apple systems, Windows systems, any other type of system that can connect to the Internet. Then after the Crooks have you to connect to their bogus Wi-Fi system, then basically they can get anything that you're typing as you're attached to the internet through their free Wi-Fi connection. And, you know, oftentimes they can also get access if you don't have strong enough security on your own device. They'll also get access to all they can on your own computing device as well. Uh, So make sure you you are aware of these things when you're using public Wi-Fi. So here's a listener question from Bill. Um, Bill says, hey, you've mentioned skimmers a few times on your show. Now, I am afraid to use ATM machines and pay at the pump. And I don't want to carry cash, though, because then I'm afraid I'm going to get mugged. So really, do you actually use ATMs and credit card readers? Well, Bill Yes, I do use them, Bill, but guess what? I make sure of a few things first before I use them because I don't want to have somebody taking my data, but I still want the convenience of using them. So at ATMs, it only takes just a second to install a skimmer, for the crooks to install a skimmer. So what I do is I jiggle the the card swipe mechanism, and if it's loose, I don't use it. I go look for a different place, a different ATM machine or somewhere else. Um, If I'm at the cashier's checkout or if I'm in a self-pay location, like at the gas pump, because I do like to pay at the gas pump. um, I jiggle that device too. And I look at it. Um, If it's loose, I do not use it. I go to a different pump. If it looks strange, if it looks like it's tampered with, I don't use it. Also, I do not use debit cards when I use these type of machines. Um, I use the credit cards because they have more legal protection over any misuse of the card data. And also if I'm at a, a device where you have to, you know, put in your pin number, I always cover the pad when I'm putting in my uh, pin number or password with my other hand just in case there's a one of those micro cameras that are installed there so that's something else I do and you know I mentioned earlier about those tiny skimmers that can be inserted uh, into the USB charger so I also do have with me that I use when I travel, kind of related to this, uh, since we're talking about skimmers, it's a different type, but I do use one of those juice jack uh, preventers. So, um, let's see, here's another listener question. Uh, This one is from Gail, and Gail asks, what are the best ways uh, that I can protect my privacy? both online and in the real world? Well, Yale, yeah, that's a, a great question. And actually, um, it would take me, I could probably do like a week's class on that. But let me give you just in a few minutes some of the best ways to protect your privacy. First of all, the best way is to not give any more personal data to anyone online, in person, wherever, over the phone certainly, give out as little of your personal data as possible. The less personal data you put out there to others, then the more your privacy can be protected. Now, if you do not need to give out real or valid personal data, then don't. For instance, maybe there's a survey online that is asking for your um, birth date or address or zip code or something like that. Well you know if it's just a survey, some silly survey, then you don't need to put your actual information there. I know that'll screw up probably their demographics for the survey but on the other hand it's also protecting you and your privacy by not putting out such additional types of information. You know, I don't provide my actual address or even where I, the city where I live online. I give it to you verbally through the radio, I know. But when I'm online and submitting different forms or participating in different types of social media sites and doing research, when uh, they ask me for my city, I usually don't give them my, my actual city. I give a different location because I'm thinking, why do they need that? For the purpose for which this social media site was created, if they don't really need it for the purpose that I'm using it, then you know I'll tell them a different place. For instance, some of the social media sites think I live in Antarctica, and you probably know why I say Antarctica because I want to go there. But um, so that's that's one of the places I live online. I also live in the Sahara Desert for other types of sites, but. You know, speaking of naming locations as well, make sure that you keep your GPS or other type of location tracking tech turned off. That will help to protect your privacy, also, because that will help to keep others from tracking where you're at and what you're doing at any point in time. So, right now, we're coming right up on our break. And uh, we're going to take a quick break to hear from our valued sponsors that I do appreciate so much. I am answering questions today from listeners and from my Privacy Professor Monthly Tips publication readers. I'm your host, Rebecca Harold, the Privacy Professor. You can contact me with questions and comments about this show as well as provide show topic suggestions using my email rebeccaherald at com, and also through my privacyguidance.com website. Please stay with us. We'll be right back after these important messages from my sponsors.
0: When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The Privacy Professor is your trusted source for effective information security, privacy and compliance advice, compliance tools, education, consulting, expert witness services, and board positions. Visit us online at privacyprofessor.org. Rebecca Harold & Associates offers information security products, privacy and compliance tools, education and consulting. Rebecca also provides keynote speeches and her free Privacy Professor monthly tips messages. She has published since 2007. Visit privacyprofessor.org for help and answers to your questions. Have you heard about Simbus360.com? The Simbus system includes information security, privacy and compliance management, policies, procedures and forms, third party and vendor management, training and awareness. Breach response and management, employee tasks and assets management, and risk management automation. Simbus also offers AlienVault Unified IT security management at reduced pricing, and also cyber liability insurance with limits up to twenty-five million dollars. You need to find out more about the Simbus system. Visit Simbus360.com
1: your favorite voice america talk radio network shows and hosts are in your car outdoors and wherever you need them to be listen anywhere
0: get our mobile app for iphone blackberry or android at the apple itunes app store blackberry app world or android market when it comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america business network You are listening to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor. If you have a question or comment about the program, feel free to send an email to Herald RebeccaHerald at RebeccaHerald.com. That's Herald RebeccaHerald at RebeccaHerald.com. Now, back to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor.
1: Welcome back to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor on the Voice America's business channel. I'm your host, Rebecca Harold. I'm answering questions today from listeners and from my monthly Privacy Professor monthly tips publication. So let's continue going on down the list of questions that I've been meaning to answer, but I haven't gotten to yet. Okay, so here's my next question. This is from a Privacy Professor tips reader, Charles. Charles asks, I'm worried about the Exactus data breach. After I read the attached article and he sent me uh, an email about this. And so he was referencing a July 11th, uh, 2018 wired article called the worst cybersecurity breaches of 2018 so far. So he continues and he says, I reached out to Exactus asking for a copy of, of any data that they had on my wife and I. Surprise, surprise, I only got back silence. I would appreciate your thoughts and recommendations. Well, this is a great question. Um, and for the uh, our listeners who may not have heard of this particular breach before, in June of this year, 2018, a marketing and data aggregation firm called Exactus reported a breach of close to 340 million um, individual records on a publicly accessible server. And lack of security controls on that server exposed a database that contained 300 and 40 million individual records. Now, it cannot be determined how many people online actually accessed that wide open database of records and how many of them copied that data because, you know, the logging apparently and reportedly the logging was not turned on for that. So, just think about it. This they reported that this was like close to two terabytes of data, and it included personal data on hundreds of millions of american adults and even though most people had never heard of exactus before because of how you know spread out they were in collecting data throughout the world and in the us basically this database contained the personal data of every us citizen and it also contained data about literally millions of businesses now the data that was exposed on this web server server it it reportedly did not contain credit card data or um, social security data um, or that type of data that most people think about with privacy breaches but it reported Reportedly did have data that just went into the the most minute detail for each individual that was in their database and it included such things as phone numbers and home addresses and email addresses and then a lot of other characteristics about the individuals and also You know, their interest, it went into things like what they liked and didn't like, their habits, their activities, their age, their gender, and also it even got into their family members and included information about each person's children and possibly grandchildren. So it was a lot of data. And just the behavioral data that was involved in this huge, you know, breach, this vulnerable hole out on the internet when you think about all of that data in combination with the personal data that was taken it really made the exactus breach very concerning because just think about how this information can then be used by cyber criminals to improve you know their success in their social engineering attempts and attacks. For instance, social engineers can now use this personal information when they're sending out phishing messages using the emails that they got within uh, the database, and they can send it out on social media. They can see maybe through this data who's using different types of social media, and so they can use that to try to fool people into giving them information by being pretending in some cases to be somebody else that others know. So this data really provided just a a jackpot of information that cyber criminals could use to highly personalize attacks against consumers. And so this was something that was a very concerning thing. So, uh, Charles, you're you're very right to be concerned because of this huge amount of data that just was sitting there open for the taking, basically. So, to your question, here are my recommendations, Charles, for what you can do since you heard nothing but crickets, and for those of you outside of the the U.S., when when people say outside Hearing crickets, that's just meaning silence and all you hear are the bugs making their noises, right? So to your question, Charles, here's some recommendations I have for you. Number one, keep your eye out, you and your family, for suspicious emails or texts or other types of messages. As I mentioned, the cyber can use the information that they got to do many more types of phishing emails and social engineering scams. Um, And also by phone call. So if you get a suspicious phone call or you see something uh, suspicious on your social media site or an email or anything out of the ordinary, be sure that uh, you... Think twice before you take action about it. And and be sure to avoid clicking any links that are provided. You know, use that uh, link checking site that I mentioned a little bit earlier. And, you know, just delete the email or message entirely just to be on the safe side. The second thing you can do is to set up an alert. And even though this breach reportedly did not have credit card numbers or financial data, because this personal data can be used to actually get into financial accounts, like a lot of those secret questions and answers that you have to provide to get into your accounts, use this type of data as the answers. So it's best to really be proactive and I would say set a fraud alert on your credit cards and other types of accounts so that any new or recent requests for checking your credit really go under scrutiny. I actually did this and I was surprised when I got a notice that somebody was checking my credit here just last month because no one should have been checking into my my credit history because I wasn't applying for any new loans or anything. So I'm glad I did that because I caught a suspicious um, person or cyber crook who was trying to get into my account. So I, I recommend you definitely do that as well. Now, if you find an account that was created under your name or your, your family's name that you did not open, if you're in the U.S., um, report it to the police or the Federal Trade Commission as well as to the creditor involved. So you can make sure you can get that fraudulent account closed. If you're outside of the U.S., then go to your data protection authority, uh, report it to them, and get them to help you to resolve the situation as well. And then number three, you might consider investing in an identity theft uh, solution. And with this breach, uh, the exactest breach, almost every American adult could be facing the possibility of some type of identity fraud or identity theft. So there's various types of identity theft protection offerings out there that you can uh, consider. So with regard to Exactus in particular, what I've also done in these types of situations, cause you said you sent a message to them, you asked them for information, And you heard nothing back. So what I've done in similar situations is, okay, fine. You're not going to answer me. I've sent you two messages. I give them two tries. On the third try, then what I do is I usually send an email to the organization and I document within that email what I did for my previous attempts to get information and answers from them about a breach or whatever my question was related to. And then... For those of you in the U.S., I copy the email of the FTC onto the message. I copy the email of my state attorney general on the message. I copy the email of the Better Business Bureau um, on my message and any other type of privacy rights organizations that I happen to think of. And it's actually gotten me results Almost every time in the dozen or so times that I've had to resort to this after having my initial questions ignored. So don't give up and keep trying with them to see if you can get your questions answered. Outside of the U.S., again, you should be able to send uh, these messages to your data protection authority and copy them onto your messages and see, you know, how that helps. Oftentimes, Uh, since it's worked here in the U.S. with these different ones. I don't have experience outside of the U.S. with doing that, but I would suggest you give that a try. At least your data protection authority should be able to tell you what you should do when they get your your email like that. Okay, so here's uh, the next question. This is another Wi-Fi question, and this comes from a listener, Don. Don asks, I have a home Wi Fi network set up. When I attach to it, I see all my other neighbors' Wi Fi networks. I know I shouldn't use their networks, but last week my home router burned out, so I used my neighbors since I really needed to get online. If I'm not going to, or wait, I'm not going to get them, my neighbors, or myself into trouble, am I, by doing this? Oh boy. Well, that's that's quite a question. So I know it's tempting, especially if you need to meet a deadline to say, I need to get online. Where, where can I get online? Oh, here's a way. Well, generally you should not use your neighbor's Wi-Fi networks uh, for many reasons. You, you don't know what kind of plan that they're on. So what if their plan is charging based on data usage? You know, you could be costing them a lot of money by using their network and downloading or doing whatever you're doing to get online, doing an online stream of a webinar or whatever. Also, it's simply just bad to use your neighbor's stuff without asking um, you know, just think about what if you saw your neighbor's lawnmower out in in their back lawn, uh would you just go get it and use it to mow your own lawn? You know, it's a similar concept. I mean, here where I live in my neighborhood, the neighbors are all friendly. I like them a lot, but I know they wouldn't appreciate it if I just started using their lawnmower tools or jumping onto their Wi-Fi networks. You know, most people would not do this. But I know some of you listening are like, yeah, sure, my neighbor doesn't mind. Well, then that's a more unique type of relationship than most people. But instead of just using your neighbor's Wi-Fi connection, here's a couple of suggestions I have for you uh, that are better to take. So first of all, if you have a smartphone A lot of times you can set up your smartphone, make a change in the settings and you can make your smartphone a hotspot and you can use your smartphone to connect to the Internet through it as a hotspot. You need to be aware of how this could impact your own data usage for your own billing period, of course. But if you really need to go online for some reason this could get you there to do what you absolutely must need to get done and then my second suggestion is get your own personal wi-fi connection as a backup you know i mentioned it earlier because i have my own uh, wi-fi connection that i travel with well you know consider getting that just to have as a backup and your own home wi-fi network Now you can usually get these personal Wi-Fi network devices through your telecommunications provider. I mean, I'm looking at mine here right now. It's little, it's portable. Mine costs twenty bucks a month, twenty U.S. dollars a month, uh, because it's critical for me to be able to get online for my own work, and also because when I use it, uh, when I travel, and some months I travel, you know, quite often then it really is worth the investment because I use it also in hotels as well. Okay, so here's another question from a listener. My listener, Glitter. Glitter writes, I love to do live stream videos to show exercises. I'm trying to build a large following online while getting people into awesome shape. Well, that's good, right? Um, Glitter goes on. She says, my mom told me that I should not do this, though, because hackers uh, may access my webcam and secretly record me when I don't know it. So is it really possible for hackers to access my computer's webcam in this way? Well, thank you for your question, Glitter. And thank you for listening. And first of all, again, kudos to you for being so motivated to create your own videos to get others into awesome shape. Uh, I like your ambition. Now that said, please do listen to your mother. She is correct that there are ways that hackers and other scoundrels online may try to get access to your webcam. And, you know, they might try to do such things as record you when you don't know it. Um, They might use it as a pathway to get data from your computer or do other types of nasty actions that you would not like or appreciate. So it's important for you to secure your webcam and also Be aware of the flaws in technology that can expose you to unauthorized access to your webcam and basically to all of your computer. So here's a case in point. I just read about this in the news. Um, There were researchers from SEC Consult and they issued a warning at the beginning of this month, October, and their warning was about surveillance equipment including such things as webcams and it's they come from a Chinese manufacturer and I hope I'm saying this correctly to my Chinese um, listeners out there. You can send me an email let me know if I, I didn't pronounce this correctly. But the Chinese manufacturer is Huangzhou Shamwei Technology. And in this technology it put 9 million webcams wide open to attack because of some security controls that were left out or were not implemented appropriately. Whatever the flaw was, it left these 9 million webcams open. There's really a long list of other critical vulnerabilities within them, but among them are several that make it easy for hackers to take over your camera and to spy on you. So you need to check if your webcam is one of the nine million. And if you, you Google um, you know what I just told you about, you, you will probably find a list of those. If not, send me an email and I'll send you a link to a listing of all the different brands of tech that are using these particular unsecure um, webcams. So Glitter, here are some other simple actions though to take. Let's assume that your webcam is not flawed. So here's some additional actions you need to take to prevent your webcam from being compromised. So number one, use a long strong password. Do not keep the default password that came on it. Choose a new one and make sure you use upper and lowercase letters, numbers, and special characters. Choose a strong password that is different on your webcam from all of the other passwords you use. Number two, use webcams that have advanced, strong encryption capabilities. Your webcam, if you have a newer um, piece of equipment, it might have this already built in, but check on this. Check in your settings. This will help to protect the images transmitted so that they can't be picked up by others. Number three, make sure that your home router is secured, or if you have multiple routers, make sure they're all secured. Hackers can get to your Wi-Fi connected computer webcam through your home Wi-Fi router if you do not have them properly secured. So make sure your router uses strong passwords and is encrypted as well. Also, uh, for your next tip on uh, strengthening your webcam security, turn on auto updates for your webcam firmware. You know, at the beginning I talked about turning on auto updates for your system uh, systems and, and your other applications. Well, do this for your webcam firmware as well. You can do this, you can uh, go into your settings. If you need more information about this, send me an email and I can send you some information back. I think I'll actually put something about that into uh, one of my upcoming tips messages. I think that would be a good thing to include. The next tip, use firewalls and anti-malware tools to make sure that you're protecting as much as possible. Um, Also, Here's something very low tech, but very effective. Simply put a sticky note or other type of cover over your webcam camera when you're not using it. I've done this for many years. I mean, people think I'm paranoid when I do this, but you know, it works. I mean, if you have that little lens there in your webcam and your laptop, just cover it when you wanna make sure that nobody's using it. And you know, here in my office, I use a desktop computer, I have one of these big screen monitors, so with this uh, setup that I use in my office, why I have a separate webcam that I just completely keep disconnected from my large desktop computer and screen when I don't want to to use it, and I don't need it, so you can do that too. Um, so that gets us pretty close to the end of my list of questions that I had. I have just a handful of others, but they're very specific to certain types of technologies that I don't think are widely used by all my listeners. So I'll just answer those directly. But, you know, if any of you are interested in seeing some of my other advice I invite you to visit my website, privacyguidance.com. And there you'll see um, a place place to click called My Articles. It's in a rectangle just kind of right underneath and to the right of my photo at the top of the screen. I have sections. When you go to that page, I have sections there for various topics, and I have a page that you can get to from here that lists some of the more recent news articles as well that contain some of my interviews, thoughts, and so on. Also, if you're interested in getting some more tips like this, certainly subscribe to my monthly privacy tips message. I also put out a monthly blog post to CPO Magazine, so you can go to the CPO Magazine site. Just type it in like it sounds, cpomagazine.com. Also, I occasionally write for the Secure World Expo site, and I've done keynotes for them this year. I enjoyed that greatly. And I also have uh, recently done a guest blog post for Tripwire, so that was for National Cybersecurity Awareness Month. Um, So you can go there and see so many different types of topics. I want to note, too, I had some people asking me about ethics articles. So if you go out to my articles page, there's a section there for ethics as well. Um, This is something, even though I haven't really talked about it a lot on this show, over the years um, I've written some ethics articles and actually for some of the classes that I've taught as an adjunct professor, uh, for the Norwich University Master Science and in Information Security and Awareness Program, and I did that for nine years. I stopped doing that a couple of years ago, but um, I I created some ethics curriculum for them. So you might be interested in some of those as well. So today I've been answering questions from listeners and also from my Privacy Professor Monthly Tips publications. Now, I have some really great guests that I'm so excited about who are going to be coming on in the weeks ahead who are going to be discussing some really interesting topics. So I have um, a guest coming up. That's going to be talking about privacy for students and teachers in schools. I have an expert in WPA3. Yes, WPA3, that's going to be uh, coming out very soon and being used. So I have a WPA3 expert who's going to answer questions about that new advancement in encryption. I'm going to have some more shows on voting and elections discussions. I have some folks lined up for artificial intelligence uh, discussions, AI, and the algorithms that are used and how they can be used to discriminate, how they can be used. Uh, if not created appropriately, to um, invade privacy, but also, on the other hand, to improve security. So those are going to be interesting. Also, someone who um, is going to come on to talk about nation-state hacking of hardware components and the importance of supply chain security. So I have a really long list of folks lined up. Um, in the the weeks and months ahead. Uh, And do you have a topic to suggest that I cover or a guest to suggest? Well, just let me know. You can contact me with questions and comments and provide me with your show topic ideas using my email, RebeccaHerald at RebeccaHerald.com. Please tune into the show each week. If you cannot make our scheduled live time, you will be able to listen to the recordings. You can find recordings of all my past shows on iTunes, Mobile Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, in addition to, of course, the VoiceAmerica.com business channel website. And also, contact me if you need help with information security, privacy, or compliance, keynotes, um, if you need an expert witness, and for information about cimbus360.com. And also, visit my YouTube channel, The Privacy Professor, if you're interested in my appearances on the CW Iowa Live morning shows and see the topics we discuss there. I urge you to notice and stay aware of information security and privacy issues as you go about your daily activities, go to your job, and do your daily work or encounter anything else involving your personal information and how it's secured and potentially used in ways that could impact your privacy. Until our next show, please ask those you do business with, and who you work for if they are doing all they can to secure the information you've entrusted to them. Be privacy aware in the week ahead. Bye for now.
0: Thank you for tuning in this week. Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor can be heard live every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until next week, stay safe.